Greetings and welcome to the Tapestry Podcast. My name is Chris Turner. Tapestry is the adoption and foster care ministry of Irving Bible Church in Irving, Texas. Joining me today is the executive director of Tapestry, Ryan North. Hey, Chris. And his lovely wife, Kayla. Hey, Chris. How are you guys? Doing well. Great. I'd like to talk today about compassion. It's very important as foster and adoptive parents that we mirror compassion for our kids. And I thought I'd have the two of you on today to discuss this in further detail. So what do we mean when we talk about compassion? Well, I think keeping compassion in the forefront of our mind for our kids is really important. We often, um, in our mom's groups that we do, we'll start off any kind of discussion just reminding moms. We'll just kind of talk as moms about why it's important to keep compassion in the forefront of our minds. And I think really when we talk about compassion, it's just like, where did our kids come from? And why is it important to remember like their history? And I think it's easy to do when you first bring your kids home mm-hmm. and it's harder to do the longer they've been with you. Right. I know that's definitely been the case for me. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when they've been home for, you know, two weeks, you're just remembering all the things that they missed out on mm-hmm. or all the things that they didn't get. But when they've been home for 10 years, you're thinking, well, I mean, they've had this loving home for so long mm-hmm. and the compassion tends to wane and you begin to just kind of fall back on, get your stuff together, kid. Mm-hmm. Compassion is an interesting word when you read the definition. I think most of us think we know what compassion means, right. but, but when, when I went back and looked at it and its definition, I thought well, it was really, really interesting because uh, here, here's how it's defined. A feeling of deep sympathy and sorrow for another who is stricken by misfortune accompanied by a strong desire to alleviate the suffering. And so compassion is interesting because as a concept, it is the combination of sympathy and empathy. Mm-hmm. Right. So sympathy, feeling sorry for somebody else, empathy, choosing to see things from their perspective, and compassion being born out of that. So it's interesting that it's a feeling of sympathy, but it's accompanied by a strong desire. So that's why I think it's such a great word. And um, one of my favorite definitions of um, of compassion is by uh, Dr. Brene Brown, who um, is, if you want to have a, a good laugh and and a good cry at the same time, go and you know watch some of her TED talks on shame mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And um, also author of multiple multiple books like Daring to Be Great and stuff like that. But here's what she said: compassion. Was. Compassion is a deeply held belief. Empathy is the skill set needed to bring compassion alive. Right. And I do, I do love that it says compassion is a deeply held belief. Um, it's in the core, right? It's, it's, it's what parents have because we do have compassion in us because we deeply believe because we've come to understand that our children have trauma histories and that has, a, that has affected them in profound ways. Mm-hmm. And we believe that. So the compassion part, the deeply held belief, it's like Kayla said, 10 years down the road after the, the kids have come home. Sympathy can't get you 10 years down the road, right. but empathy can. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I think it's an com- important thing to, to differentiate because um, tra- people with trauma histories require other people to have compassion for them. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't, if you don't have compassion, the relationships is really, really going to be hard. Yeah, and I think what makes it so hard is when our kids don't have like a physical impairment mm-hmm. to remind us. Right. Because... It's easy for us to look at someone who has a physical impairment and be reminded on a regular basis. Right. You know, we have a daughter with special needs and while she gets 
can be frustrating sometimes. She can do things that are frustrating. I'm always reminded because of her physical impairments Mm -hmm. that I must have compassion for her. So even when I get really frustrated with her on a daily basis, I'm reminded that she, she doesn't have the ability to do better. But the same is true for some of my kids that don't have physical impairments. Mm -hmm. And I often forget that because I don't look at them and I don't see something different with them where their brain develops differently. Their brain um, is wired differently and I'm having to constantly rewire it um, for good responses. Mm -hmm. I think that also goes back to what you said earlier about when they're here, when they're here in our home with us longer and we have that, that deeper familiarity with them. Yep. We, that makes it even that that much harder, even that much harder, right? The, the, The time makes it not disappear, but, Right. Submerges it, I think, a lot more right. than in that immediacy when they first come home. Right. Well, because if I had a kid that had, um, let's just say, was missing a limb, mm-hmm. right, and they were having difficulty doing something, I'm daily reminded when I look at them. Doesn't mean that after time that the compassion doesn't wane because we see what they can do, but I'm daily at least reminded when I look at them in the physical impairment that makes it difficult for them that there are certain limitations to what they can do. Mm-hmm. And there are certain um, limitations. If my child is in a wheelchair, there are certain limitations. I wouldn't just say, well, can you just walk please now? Right. Even you never say I that wouldn't say that. Right. right. But I would say things to my kids like, can you just stop doing that? When I know it's a fear response or when I know mm. that there is something more going on, but I don't see the physical impairment that gives the compassion there. Right. So I, I have to be more mindful and I have to continue to just remind myself that my kids still need compassion even 10 years later, even you know when they've been home for a long time, even when they've made lots and lots of progress, right. they're still going to have bad days. I mean, I have bad days. I have days where I'm not at my best today. I had a massive headache and I was, I know I was short with my kids and I wasn't, but my kids couldn't see that I had a headache. Mm-hmm. They just knew that what's wrong with mom. Something's up with mom yeah. Man. Why is she, why is she acting like that? You know, several times one of mine was like, mom, why are you so annoyed with us? And I was like, I'm not annoyed. And I'm looking at him like, I don't understand, but it was cause I had a headache and it wasn't obvious to them mm-hmm. that I had a headache. But I did, and it wouldn't go away. <laughs> and so it changed how I did things and how I interacted with the kids. And clearly from their comments, there was something different, mm-hmm. you know. So I think the same is true. And my kids didn't know to have compassion for me, so they were just like, what's wrong with mom? Why mm-hmm. is she like that? And I think I'm the same way with my kids sometimes. Mm-hmm. I like the wheelchair illustration because um, part of the problem for uh, – part of the struggle for our children, let me rather say it that way, is that – not only do we as their parents have to have constant compassion for them and be constantly re, um, mindful of their histories and how that has impacted them, but then when they go to school and when they go to church and when they go to grandma and grandpa, those are the places um, where, again, if, if, if a nine-year-old girl was in a wheelchair and she came into the room, everybody would do whatever they could to make her feel like they were, that she was part of that room. But when our children come in through an emotional wheelchair, because that, that helps me to think of it in those terms, mm-hmm. nobody can see the emotional wheelchair, so the compassion isn't there. 
And then that's really, really the struggle is helping people understand that my children do need a high degree of compassion without sharing too much of their story, without um, saying and doing things that might shame my children if other people knew that. Yeah. And so then this compassion thing, while it is you know, a word, it's a really deep word with layers and something that we really need to be mindful of. You know, it's something we have to work at every day. I don't think while it is a deeply held belief, I agree with that, but, you know, I have lots of deeply held beliefs that I don't really live out every day right. because I'm not constantly mindful of them. And I think that's why it's so important for us to be mindful of our kids' need for compassion and for us to work at it because it is hard. I don't go to the gym every day because it's hard when I'm there. <laughs> and I think that's part of the problem why I'm not necessarily as compassionate as I need to be every day because it is hard to do those things. It is the long way around the garden right. it, it, it does require work it doesn't require intentionality but like Kayla said sometimes when you just got a headache that's just like feel like it feels like your head's about to split open or if I walk in the door and I've you know my usual 20 minute commute is a 45 minute commute because of the the traffic it's hard to be a compassionate person um when when I'm feeling like man I need to be the recipient of some compassion right now <laughs> why can't the kids give me that um, but then I'm reminded of those um, those words that really confront us every day that in the parent-child relationship, all the responsibility to act like an adult is, is mine. Only adult, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, I think practically trying to figure out how do I keep compassion in the forefront of my mind, that's always mm. hard to, like, do I write it on the wall? <laughs> do I tattoo it on my arm? I mean, how do I just go, okay, Kayla. Think about your kids' history. Think about where they come from. Because when they start to do the manipulation and when they start to, you know, seek control, like my kids are getting ready to go on a trip with some grandparents. And so I'm seeing some behaviors because there's some anxiety arising from that, even though they're excited and they want to. And I forget. And I'm just like, what is going on with you guys? Why are you acting like this? But then when I remember and I think, okay, there's some anxiety, there's some things going on, I can have compassion, you know, but how do I do that? Like, how, I, I don't know. I haven't figured out the right answer. I haven't figured out exactly what I need to do to remind myself that every day. I think you, you know? should get the word t- compassion tattooed in your arm. <laughs> you think so? Be, yeah. I think it'll be good. <laughs> Sticky notes all over the house. Sticky notes <laughs> everywhere. There you go. There you go. I mean, you know, people have those like signs on their walls, like entering your mission field or whatever. <laughs> so maybe I need to get one of those like, you know, as I walk out of my bedroom every morning, that's like compassion is all over my bedroom door or something. I don't know. Something. And just, I mean, I think just talking about it often is helpful too. You know, mm-hmm. um, when I read through the connected child again, cause you know, I read, I read through it at least once a year. I read through, you know, sections of it, portions of it. I kind of flip through and go, okay, I need to read this chapter again because mm-hmm. I'm really having some trouble with this. And keeping connection as just a key component, I think I just need to read that frequently because when I read the section, I mean, just it just helps me to remember, yes, yes, I've got to keep that. It's an, such an important thing. I have to keep it in the forefront of my mind. Mm-hmm. So you know how in, in Deuteronomy where it talks about you know telling your children every day and sharing the story with them and you're coming and you're going and all of those things. And I think um, that's why the co- community of like-minded people who are on the same journey is so important because when you have other people invested in your life, 
that are on the same journey, right? That is the reminder. That is the sign on the wall. Some people call it commiseration. Um, I know that word somehow has a negative, negative connotation, but to me, it just means, hey, we're in this together. Yeah. And and so that's you know um, I just love it when you're around people like your family, Chris, and some other friends of ours who have adopted, who do foster, and so we can all go, hey, you know what? We're in this together. And the conversation will always because somebody will always listen and point out, hey, man, kids are from hard places. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. at some point, it doesn't sound as bad when it's coming out of my mouth, the things I'm struggling with, as it does coming out of somebody else's mouth. You mm-hmm. know, we very rarely. Um, flip our lids with the kids at the same time mm. because there's always one one who listens to the interaction and goes i think i think you need you know, i think you need a little bit of a of separation from the situation right now we have a we have a a code phrase can you go to the store and buy some pineapples and um which is good for several reasons because it, it has nothing to do with anything so it's not like inflammatory it's not throwing gasoline on the fire but on top of that, the kids go, what? <laughs> it really kind of b- breaks the, the, the negative momentum of the moments. My kids will be like, we're getting pineapple? <laughs> <laughs> All right. It didn't take our older ones long to realize that we said that any time one of the other was like kind of flipping their lid with the kids. Um, it, it didn't take them long. And so now our oldest will sometimes go, uh, hey, mom, do you think you need to go get some pineapples? <laughs> But he usually can't remember, so it's not usually pineapples. It's usually Some like mangoes or something. Like something random comes out. And he's like, Mom, do you think you need to go to the store and get some uh, bananas? And I'm like, what? yeah, bananas. What are you talking about? It doesn't usually work quite well, as well as he wants it's it It's either he doesn't remember or they're just negotiating their needs. Maybe. he doesn't want pineapples. Maybe want, that's what it is. I really like bananas. It's like, would they just get bananas when they go to the store for those darn pineapples? <laughs> Some tangelos, please. Tangelos. Tangelos. Oh, that's interesting. Um, yeah. So, no, but I think it's good to like have have people that you're walking the journey with that you feel comfortable saying to them, you know, you know what? Don't forget to have compassion for your kids. You know, mm-hmm. that you can say that to them and they can say it to you and you can yeah, receive that, it well. Yeah, I think that's really, really important. Yeah. That's reciprocal. Because, I mean, when I watch, uh, I'll watch other people deal with their kids and I think, man, they were kind of short with their kids, you know? <laughs> and with my good friends, I can kind of say, Hey, what's going on? What's, you know? And they'll be like, Oh my gosh, they're driving me crazy today or whatever's going on. We can be really honest and open. And I can be like, I know, but remember, you know, let's try this or, and we can be open and honest with each other. And I think that's a good place to be. I think everybody, nobody needs to walk this journey in isolation because, that is probably the best way to keep compassion as the forefront is just to have friends that will constantly not shame you into going, uh, but your kids are from hard places, so mm-hmm. you need to be better with that, but can really just help you walk along the journey and say, we can do this. You know, mm-hmm. we got this. Yes. In an interesting turn of events, piling shame on an adult doesn't generally help uh, bring connect their upstairs and downstairs <laughs> brain. No. So just doesn't yeah. work for kids either. It's amazing. It doesn't. Yes. So, guys, um, in addition to walking this journey with other like-minded parents, what are some uh, practical aspects we can bring to our everyday lives with our kids of fostering compassion? One of the ways we can do that is just to be intentional. And I know that sounds like like a really easy answer, but intentionality is something that we're not given to, right? We can go and revisit 
firing of neurons and wiring together mm-hmm. and sort of autopiloting it, piloting it through life. And one of the things that we cannot autopilot is our parenting because when we do get in that place, we do tend to follow the path of least resistance. And the path of least resistance is going with what you know mm-hmm. and going with what I know is yelling. And so that's, that, was, that was compliance tool number one in my house growing up, being yelled at. But my child that comes from chaos does not need to be yelled at because it not only does it not bring about the resolution that I want, it ignores his needs, it has no compassion in it, and it really causes harm in the relationship between the two of us because I've confirmed a bunch of negative things that he believes about himself mm-hmm. and he believes about um, adults when I yell. So I think you know one of the things we have to do is we have to be really intentional. And, and you know, Kayla... A few minutes ago, joking, he said, what if we get a compassion tattoo? But yeah, what if you are like that church that puts that now entering your mission field sign at the end of the parking lot? Because I don't know if churches still do that, but I remember when they did. Mm -hmm. What if you do put on your bedroom door, have compassion? What if you set a reminder on your phone and all it said was, remember to be compassionate? We set reminders for everything else in the universe. Yeah, true. But what if you set a reminder on your phone that said, be compassionate? Be the compassion you want to see. I mean, just whatever you want to do that, that helps Make you. Make it catchy. Yeah. Put it on a T-shirt. I mean, I, yeah. there are just lots of ways. I mean, because there are people who do put Post-it notes yeah. on stuff. We used to write um, things we wanted to remember on our bathroom mirror. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes my wife would like to leave sweet notes if I was traveling or something and got up before anybody else got up the night before she'd write something. So we do all of these things already. Let's just apply them. In the, in the realm of, of having compassion because I do need to be reminded to be a compassionate person. The word most used to describe Jesus' feelings for people when he was on earth is the word compassion. Over and over in the New Testament, this phrase occurs. And Jesus saw the crowds, and he had compassion on them. And Jesus saw the crowds, and he had compassion on them. And there was just something that when he looked at them, he could see their need for, for compassion from mm-hmm. him. And we have to get ourselves to a place when we see, when we go, and we looked at our kids, and we had compassion upon them. That needs to be a narrative for our lives. And the only way that I know how, and you guys may, may have some other ideas, and you may completely disagree with me, but the only way that I know how to get there is to be intentional about it, is to remember it, is to keep it on the forefront of my mind. Setting reminders on the phones, thinking about this conversation the next time I have an interaction with my child. You know, it's funny that Kayla said that you know she had a difficult day today because of her headache. I felt like I had a really good, good sort of transitioning from home to bedtime with the kids today, and not because it was sort of trying to be like the, the, the yin to your yang or whatever. I just kind of walked into the house and just I don't know. I just had like had a good conversation with our oldest when we walked in, and watched a little bit of the the soccer with him on the replay of the, of the Euro stuff and. I just like, felt like, like a really good sort of, for the most part, a pretty good connected, low-key kind of time with them tonight. Well, I think that's the other key there. What you said is the connection. I think when we remember to stay connected to our kids, it increases our compassion as well. Because I think the more disconnected I am from my kids, the more they irritate me, the mm-hmm. more they get on my nerves, and the less compassion I have for them. Mm-hmm. And and their hard place you know um one of mine has super high anxiety about going on this trip with grandparents 
And if I'm disconnected from her, then her anxiety about this trip drives me crazy. Mm-hmm. It makes me bananas. Um, but if I'm connected, if I'm sitting and I'm reading her story or I'm talking to her about it or then it doesn't bother me as much. So I think that's probably another key, like real practical thing to do is just remembering that in connected parenting, our goal is to remain connected, right? right? Even in the midst of manipulation and control and all of the things that we can get buried in all of the behaviors we can get buried in if we keep connection as our goal then i think the compassion naturally flows out of that connection and here's the thing to to remember while we keep connection as our goal it is possible to have compassion for our children and still require correct behavior Mm -hmm. it is possible to have empathy for our children and still discipline them and train them and teach them and help them to do the right thing because one of the things that we always come back to is keeping that balance of nurture and structure. Well, we could say that another way, keeping that balance of compassion and right behavior. We cannot make the mistake in saying that to be in order to be compassionate for my children, I have to be permissive as a parent. Right. We don't have to excuse behaviors with compassion. We just well, recognize why the behaviors are there. Right, because with some of those kids, they're because of the chaos that they may have come from, they need that structure. Right, absolutely. To help them. Absolutely. Cope. And so, yeah, you definitely can't dismiss that. Yeah, so what you're saying there is that it is compassionate to have structure for a child that comes from chaos. Yes. And that's sort of a bit of a paradox for people. Right. Um, but what you cannot be is, you know, we can look at the, the, the parenting matrix, right? And when you don't want to be the permissive parent, you don't want to be the authoritative parent, authoritarian parent, excuse me, you want to be the authoritative parent, right. the person that is both nurturing and structured, the person that is both, that is kind and compassionate and still wants to, to train their children, the person who has empathy but also understands that we can't be stuck, we have to try to move forward. Mm-hmm. I think that's when, when we find the difference between someone who feels sorry for their child because of where they came from. And is permissive because of it, because they're trying to make up for the things that have happened in our kids' past. And I don't think that's what we're talking about. I think we're talking about that empathy that gives us a right perspective on our kids' history. Mm -hmm. In the midst of some difficult behaviors, we don't say, well, I'm not going to address that because, well, they've just had such a hard life. And that doesn't help our kids. We need to help them move forward and heal. So I think compassion is is very different from just feeling sorry for our kids and excusing behaviors because of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think when we are going back to the dictionary definition of compassion, it is a multi-tiered concept in that that sympathy is really level one and really the starting point. Right. Yeah. But empathy is level two, which allows you to have longevity in your compassion. I think of it's kind of like sympathy is kind of like the concrete mix that you use to build the foundation of empathy. Yes. Because like we discussed earlier, you can't build the long-term connection with your child on sympathy. It has to go deeper than that. Right. Yeah, because that that tank empties pretty quickly. Yeah. Because you get to the place, like you mentioned, you know, at the start. Why can't you just like? Why can't we just be done with this? Right. Can we just move on from this behavior? It's driving me crazy. Mm-hmm. 
And the truth of the matter is that unless we actually process things and come to terms with things, we will not move on from things. Mm-hmm. Part of, of, of the compassion for our children is is helping them come to terms with some of the things in their history. Obviously, at age-appropriate things and then emotionally appropriate things, you, know, you, you, know, you kind of help, help them into their own stories. But we cannot separate them from their stories. Because I know a lot of adoptive parents who have kind of gone, okay, we've changed our kid's address. The past is in the past. We're moving forward. Mm-hmm. And seven, eight, nine years after they made that decision, they call us and say, we're really struggling. Mm-hmm. Because it is not compassionate to ignore the past. Mm-hmm. It is not compassionate to just pretend like things didn't happen. That's just a lie. And to have true compassion for our children, we have to invite them into their story. Now, when they come home, we do lots of things. But one of the things we sign up for is to say, I am now the guardian of your story until you get to a place where you can take complete ownership of that. Right. And so, you know, remembering their story, you want to talk about ways to be compassionate, remembering where my kid comes from, remembering the struggles, thinking through um, their lives in the context of those six risk factors from the connected child. Those are real ways. I have to see the, the kid that's across the table from me and parent that person and not parent the person that I want across the table from me. Right. One of the stakes I know that, that we have made in parenting was going, okay, well, this is where you are. This is where you need to be. You need to jump over that bar. Mm-hmm. But what we need to do is we need to step them up. And, and I think one of the ways that we're compassionate about children is understanding what's appropriate for them, understanding what they're able to do, what, how they're able to respond. You know, our kids get stuck sometimes. They're that freeze response, and you have to come to terms with the fact that, hey, they're, they're giving you what they can and one of the ways, and, and maybe this will be the last thing I'll say about the practical ways on being compassion, is we tell people all the time, the world's leading expert in your child needs to be you. Mm-hmm. And if you're willing to do the hard work to become the world's leading expert in your child, I think that on those days when you're struggling, you might be able to come back to that need for compassion a little easier if you just, well, he's 10, he should be able to do this. And not realizing, yeah, he may be 10, according to his birth certificate, but it's four or five according to his life experience. Mm-hmm. So I think one thing that comes to mind just as we're talking about this is we probably have some people who are listening to this going, well, I was in the delivery room with my kid. I right. mean, mm-hmm. why do I have to have compassion about? I mean, they've come home to me at a tiny, you know, as a tiny baby and they've had love and nurture from day one. I'm still seeing some of these behaviors. And so I think to those people, I would just remind you that your child's story didn't start the day they came to you, even if that was on the day they were born. Right. Because their story started with conception and all of that prenatal stress and the prenatal harm that happened. I mean, even in your most ideal situation, there's still loss. And so your, your child is still having to process a loss that they may not remember and they may not understand. And as they get older, they'll begin to ask more questions. So for that parent that's listening that says, well, my child came home, you know, they're three. What, why are they acting like this? Isn't this just normal three-year-old behavior? Why do I need to have compassion for them? Yes, there's some normal behavior happening at three, especially. Um, but you have to have compassion for that child because there is loss and there is this, this sense of loss. Um, when you speak to adoptees that are adults now, 
even those that were adopted at birth, they feel the sense of, of loss that they can't really explain. Mm -hmm. And from the time they could even process what adoption was, they will tell you that they have felt this loss. And so I think listening um, to those that are adult adoptees is a good way for anyone who is struggling with the fact that their child came to them at birth and they don't think they should have to worry about any of these behaviors. And I think the younger that that child is, when they start experiencing that sense of loss, the harder it is for them to express it. Yes, absolutely. And that's going to lead to behaviors that you're kind of wondering, you know, where did that come from? Right. Because they don't have the words right. to like put a finger on that feeling that they're feeling. And even if know? they have the words, they may not have the the necessary emotional capacity yeah. to yeah. use those words to tell you. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because they don't have a memory of a loss. Right. Their body just kind of remembers a loss. We have biological children and I remember when I was pregnant, I remember, you know, I talked to the baby and I, you know, I would talk to them and I would talk about them. And, and, and I know, I don't remember exactly when it is in the development of a child that they can begin to hear noises. And so, you know, most of the noises that ours heard were, were healthy and were happy and were generally soothing and good noises. And some of our kids, you know, they came to us from a, from a chaotic environment. And so at whatever point they could begin to hear that chaos, it was making a memory on their body. And so I think that's, that's so hard to remember, but it is so impactful on our kids. Mm. There's a book called The Body Keeps Score by Bessel van der Kolk. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. Mm. Uh, it's on my to-read list. A lot of people that I have the greatest respect for have read it and highly recommended it to us. Uh, the title is The Body Keeps Score, Brain, Mind, and Body in the Healing of Trauma. And we talked about that a little earlier. You know, when our kids come to us at a young age, well, they don't have those explicit memories. They have implicit ones, mm-hmm. which is just a fancier way of saying the body's keeping score. Right. And processing those things um, tend to become very, very difficult because it's that your body that kept score, not your mind. Right. Well, that seems like a good place to stop for today. I would like to thank Ryan and Kayla for being on the podcast. Thank you, Chris. Thanks, Chris. If you have a question for us that will fit into 140 characters, you may tweet it to us at tapestryibc. If you require a bit more room, you can email us at tapestry at irvingbible.org. You may also find us on Facebook at Tapestry IBC. You can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes. Just search for Tapestry Adoption Podcast. You can also subscribe from our website, tapestryministry.org. Thank you for listening. 